Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are uh, having a great conversation about speakers and getting paid. You know, I think this is a big challenge that a lot of speakers, not just speakers, but just artists in general run into, is that we we think that for some reason that getting paid for what it is that we do is a bad thing. It's a negative thing. And so today, we're bringing on a guest and a really good friend of mine uh, to discuss this and to debunk this myth that... Um, that uh, you shouldn't be paid for your work. Listen, you absolutely should be paid for the the art and the value that you bring into the world. So today we're going to have that conversation with my good friend, Jeff Goins. Jeff is actually, he's got a new book coming out called Real Artists Don't Starve. What a great title. I really like that. Real Artists Don't Starve. We talk about that title. We talk about exactly what he means inside the book, but we dig into like, you know, the topic of is making money a bad thing? You know, speakers, we want to help people. So profiting off of helping people can feel weird or I don't know, maybe even slimy at times. So we, we talk about that. We talk about how do you overcome mental barriers of getting paid and not feeling guilty for it? We talk about, you know, is speaking for free a bad thing? We, we dig into that as well. Uh, and then also, Jeff has got several free bonuses he's going to hook you up with. So make sure you uh, you stick around till the end for that. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Jeff Goins. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm joined by my good buddy, Jeffrey Goins. Dr. Jeffrey Goins? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to go That's with right. that. Jeff and I just spent some time in the Philippines together. We were on a trip there. We were on a little vacation, and uh, we've, we've run some uh, we've run some races together. He's trying to talk me into doing a, a half marathon in the near future. I did talk you into it. We may have talked me into it, which may completely backfire in my life. But Jeff lives here in Nashville, a great speaker, great author, and uh, excited to have him hanging out with us. Jeff's got a new book coming out in, in the very near future called Real Artists Don't Starve, a very captivating title. Do you remember when you first told me about the title? I don't remember. You told a bunch of people about it. I remember. Well, I was trying to get feedback. We were sitting in Chipotle and uh-huh. discussing yeah. it. I was like, "Dang, yeah. that's a legit title. It's really mm. good." And so now it's uh, now it's here. It's coming out. Really excited about it. So, first of all, for people who aren't familiar with you, then why don't you give us a quick nutshell overview of of the world of Jeffrey Goins and what it is that you do? Sure, I am. By the way, you talk so quickly. Uh, it's impressive. You talk and enunciate so quickly. I don't. I don't know where the where the mouth is going. The brain's just trying to keep up. <laughs> you have a voice made for radio. Yeah. So I. I think I have always been creative. I mean, that's sort of you know how I think of myself as a creative, particularly a writer. But when I was a kid, you know, I was I used to draw Garfield cartoons, and, and and when I was a teenager, I liked making comic books. My dad taught me how to play the guitar, and so I was like, I want to be a professional musician. Art was always a part of my life, but nobody ever told me you could make a living as an artist, as a writer, even as a speaker. You know, in high school, in college, I was an actor. 
I did a lot of performances. I delivered a lot of speeches and debates and stuff in college. And again, nobody ever told me like, you can make money off of this. This is an actual career. So I went to a liberal arts school where they tell you that they, you know, teach you how to learn, you learn how to learn and not necessarily, you know, prepare you for the vocational world. And so I graduated from college and I had a degree in Spanish and religion and I didn't really know what to do with that. So I joined a band and I toured the country. (laughs) (laughs) The natural, logical, progressive next step there. I know it's ridiculous. And we talked about this a lot on your previous podcast. How did you get into that? Which is still one of my favorite podcasts. Just it's it's a great thing. I miss it. Yeah, it it was a good fun time. But yeah, I mean, I was just randomly trying to figure things out as many, you know, 22 year olds are. And I toured the band with a year. And Every week, I mean, we would play five, six, seven shows a week as a band. And then every Saturday, I would write a blog post saying, here's what we did this week. We went to Mount Rushmore. We played for 1,200 you know, people at the school assembly, whatever it was. And that became my favorite part of the week. And, and so I began to entertain this idea that maybe I should be a writer. And then I went and worked for a nonprofit for seven years As a marketing director, I became a marketing director. I didn't know anything about marketing. I read Seth Godin's blog. I learned about marketing, and I I did it for this nonprofit. And again, there was just always this nagging feeling, maybe I'm supposed to write. Maybe I'm supposed to do something else. And so several years ago, I started a blog and started writing and, and speaking for a living. And the way that all this started, and I think this is important for your listeners, is I didn't wait until I felt ready. I felt very unprepared. But I had a conversation. I was able to talk to Stephen Pressfield, an amazing writer, author of The War Mm -hmm. of Art. And I said, when does a writer get to call himself a writer? And he says, you are when you say you are. Not when you get a degree, not when you get, you know, not when somebody says you have what it takes. You are when you say you are. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna start calling myself a writer. And then uh, around that same time, I was like, I guess writers need to be speaking. And so I reached out to Michael Hyatt, who had been doing, a, who was doing a lot of speaking at the time. I said, how do I become a speaker? I just sent him an email, and he said, there's two things you need to know. One, you know, put the the name speaker, like have a speaker page, put a speaker page on your blog, and then two, just start calling yourself a speaker. And I was like, okay, done and done. So you know, I started to see, you know, some connection here, and and I realized that uh, I don't think you fake it till you make it. But I do believe that you believe it till you become it. And I think this is this the first step of becoming an artist. This is how I start the book out. If you want to become a creative professional, whatever that means to you, entrepreneur, speaker, writer, this is a decision. This is not something that you're born to do. It's something that you decide to become. And I believe that that begins with a belief in yourself. You said believe it to become it. I like that line. But at the same time, how do you balance the... I'm just going to click my heels together and I'm going to wish that I'm going to be a successful speaker and kind of this, I don't know, kind of this myth of just name it, claim it type stuff. Because the reality is that, yes, I'm totally with you, but at the same time, behind the scenes, there's a crap load of work that goes into it to become successful as a speaker, author, writer, blogger, you know, whatever the thing may be. So how do you balance that, believe it to become it with the reality that like it's, it's also a crap load of work? I love the story of how John Grisham became a writer. Do you know the story? I don't think so. So, you know, John Grisham, very famous, successful novelist, you know, writes a lot of legal thrillers, books about lawyers. And that genre did not exist really before he started uh, writing in it. And he's become one of the world's most successful authors. Well, how he decided to become a writer is, first of all, he didn't know if he could write a book. He's like, I don't know if I can do this. So I'm going to try. 
I'm going to give it a try. I believe that I have what it takes to at least give it a shot. There was no big grand notion beyond, I'm going to get up every day and do the work for as long as it takes to do it. And, and, and this is what I did, by the way, when Steve Pressfield told me, you are when you say you are. I did two things. One, I said, okay, I'm a writer. And I started introducing myself as that thing. And I agree, Grant, that there's a lot of people out there who are saying they're, they are something without doing it. And that's not faith, that's lying. <laughs> you know, I mean, so belief is essential. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. It's just the first step. So the second thing I did was I started acting like it. And I think these two things go together, hand in hand, because there are plenty of people who are saying they are something, but they're not acting like it. And at the same time, there are people that are working really hard at something, but they don't believe that they have what it takes. And we see how they suddenly sabotage themselves. I was talking to a friend this morning about a project that I was working on and I started talking, you know, I was, he goes, Hey, that's great. And I said, yeah, but this, 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 and this, like, here's the things that I wish I could change about this. And he said, dude, you have to stop doing that. Every time you talk about this, you're talking negatively about it and it's going to affect how you talk about it to the people that you want to buy this thing. And I was like, this is true. I mean, the way that we think about ourselves and our work affects the work itself. That's why I don't like the word aspiring, wannabe, none of that stuff, because it kind of seeps into your work. And if you are an aspiring speaker and you're out there doing it, and you're waiting to someday become a quote unquote professional speaker, it's never going to happen. So here's what John Grisham did. First of all, he was a brand new dad. He was a lawyer, like busy guy, right? right you know, right. lawyers work 70, 80 hours a week, some weeks, plenty of weeks. I have a friend who's uh, a fledgling lawyer and he's like, you got to pay your dues. And, and if you're not in there, 70, 80 hours a week, people are looking at you funny just to keep your job. So what does he do with, you know, a, a house full of kids and, and a very demanding job? He gets up an hour early and he goes into his practice at about 6 a.m., not ridiculously early, and he writes for an hour every day. And his goal is to write one page a day. He does this for two years. Then he publishes A Time to Kill, his first novel. It does, it does not become successful. He, he publishes it with a very small press. It doesn't sell well. So what is he doing? Well, he keeps doing the habit. He liked that. It was fun. He realized he had what it took. And so he starts the next novel. Meanwhile, he purchases a thousand copies of his own book and starts distributing it, doing his own marketing for it. The book starts to sell better and better and better. This does the same thing, you know, another year or so later, the next book comes out and this is the firm. He's able to sell this book to a major publisher, becomes a mega bestseller, sells millions of copies. He eventually stops practicing law and becomes a full-time lawyer and invents this whole new genre. How did he do it? It took like three, four years of just getting up and doing the work every single day. So I agree. You cannot just go, oh, I'm doing, like I am this thing and I'm manifesting it someday it's going to happen. Well, what are you doing? I think it's, I think you have to believe, then you have to behave, then you become. So, it, so I think a lot of people go, I believe, then I become. No, you believe, you behave, and then you become. And, and that's what it takes to be a pro. Is there a point though where along that way where, if John Grisham is, is sitting there, and just to go with that, that analogy and story, if he's sitting there, like before he's ever written a word, and he's like, I am a writer, and then he spends the next three to four years spending an hour each morning writing, at what point does he feel qualified to say, yeah, I'm, I am a writer? You know, Because I, I feel like that's the case with some speakers of going like, right. well, I haven't, I've spoken, but I haven't been paid to speak. Right. Or I've spoke, but I haven't spoke to more than 100 people. As in, there's like, there's, there's certain 
people think there's like this these thresholds that you have to cross in order right. to be classified as a real speaker or artist. Right. Is that yep. true? So this is what I learned from Pressfield. And I'd be curious what you think about it. If you are waiting to achieve something, and this is truly what I was thinking because I was blogging, I was writing, I didn't have a book deal yet. I was getting paid a little bit for like one-off copywriting projects. I didn't call myself a writer. I didn't feel like I could call myself a writer. And I was like, when do I get to do this? Because I didn't know. Like, it's not like you graduate and you get a certificate that says writer. Now you now you have this degree that, that allows you to call yourself the same. Same thing with speaker. Same thing with a lot of creative professions, including entrepreneur. Like, you, you can go to business school and have your MBA and still you're still not an entrepreneur. So I said, when do I get to do this? New York Times bestseller, get a book deal, sell 10,000 copies. Like, when do I get to do this? And he said, it's you. Like, it's on you. You're, if you're waiting for somebody or something to happen before you can call yourself a speaker, you're never going to feel like you have what it takes. That's why I believe it has to come from you and it needs to start at the beginning. So call yourself a speaker, start getting gigs. And if you are speaking, you are a speaker. Right. So now get better and find ways to, you know, get paid more and more to do your craft so that you can keep doing it. But if you're going around saying, I'm an aspiring speaker, like nobody's gonna want to book you. You I mean, you know this better than anybody. Speakers who are speaking get booked to speak more, right? And the same thing's true with writing. And so it really is, I think you just gotta it's it's like rolling a ball, you know, rolling the snowball down the hill. You have to get it moving. I believe the first step is belief. Like I believe I have what it takes. And so now I'm going to try. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of truth to that, that if you're going to put on the, have the mindset of I am a speaker and I'm going to call myself a speaker, then it's so much more than just saying it. And like you said, just kind of like hoping I just put it in the universe and it comes. Right. But I have to then take on the behaviors and actions. Yeah. Of, so what would a speaker do? A speaker right. is taking action on finding, on working on their talk, working on their craft, on finding speaking engagements, on working on their marketing materials. So I can't just say I'm a speaker and then just sit back on the couch and right. hope it all happens. There, there's definitely the the action element to it. So let, let's shift gears yeah. for a second. One thing I'm, I'm curious about is when it comes to speaking, I think there's, and I think this is true with a lot of art, that people enjoy the art that we do, the the thing that we create and produce, it's something that's fun, that gives us life. So the idea of charging money for it feels almost dirty at times. Like, why should I profit off of helping people through my art, whether that be speaking or writing or whatever? It just feels weird. So talk us through that. How do we get over that mindset of it's okay to charge money for what it is that we do? Right. First of all, I think that you can be a starving artist in any field. And this is the argument of the book. And the reason I wrote this book is because I was tired of seeing very talented, very successful friends living in Nashville. Uh, you know what this is like, Grant. There's lots of musicians, lots of speakers, lots of writers, and lots of people, you know, kind of coming up in the online business world. And there are really smart, really talented people who are not successful because they believe inherently that the thing that they have to offer the world is not valued by the world, whatever it is. I mean, and you see this over and over and over again. You see this with writers. Well, I don't write self-help. Therefore, I'm not going to make any money doing this. Or with speakers, I don't speak about that. I don't speak about health and fitness or you know, motivational stuff or whatever. Whatever the thing they think is that like everybody's paying top dollar for, it's always like, well, I don't do that. Therefore, I'm excluded from these opportunities and from you know all the great advice that you give on this podcast. And so 
I believe that, you know, being a starving artist is not a necessary condition of the work that you do. It's a choice. You choose to starve. And I know that sounds harsh, but in this age of unprecedented opportunity to share your work with the world, I mean, it's never been easier. I think this is especially true for writing. I don't know if you agree about speaking. It's never been easier for a writer to publish their work and get it seen by people without having to go through any gatekeepers whatsoever. I think it's true for musicians too. It's never been easier for musicians to get their music out into the world and build a fan base practically for free. And I think it's true for speaking. This is certainly how I got my start. Go do a gig, get something on video. You teach this really well. It's very simple. You know, put that on a website and, and start hunting down gigs and you will get booked. You don't have to have a speaker's bureau. You don't have to have connections with the president. You don't have to be a 9-11 survivor you know, on one of the airplanes. Like You can do this. So first of all, I think you have to believe that what you have is worth charging for. Second of all, one of the rules of not being a starving artist is to not work for free. There's 12 rules in the book, and, and one of the rules is don't work for free. Do not make a habit of giving your best work away for free because if you make a habit of that, you will never get out of that trap. And you and I both know very talented people who are struggling to make a living off their art because they just can't get past that. And I think it's just a choice. And first, you have to value. You have to believe that your work actually has value. And then second, you just have to start charging something. I don't care what it is, $2.00 to get that ball rolling. And then as the demand comes in, you can charge more and more and more for it. I have a friend who's doing some consulting work right now for this organization and he's doing it pro bono. He's doing it for free, which I think is admirable. And I said, Hey, how's that going? He goes, well, it's not going very well because, you know, I made these suggestions to them and they're not taking them. And I gave them all this, you know, copy to put on their website. and They're not using it. I go, why? He goes, well, they're really busy. I go, it's because they didn't pay you. Yeah. And you try to do something nice, but they're not valuing the work. A good friend of mine, a very popular speaker, told me a story one time about how, you know, somebody who's making 25 grand a speech, how somebody paid for him to go speak at this event because they couldn't afford for him to have him come and speak. And so a very wealthy friend of this organization and of my friend, the speaker, paid 25 grand to have my friend go speak at this place. Friend gets on a plane, you know, flies across country. Gets off the plane. Have I ever told you the story? Maybe. Gets off the plane. I see where it's going. <laughs> calls the event. You know, I mean, this is this is years ago, maybe yeah. decades ago. Calls the event. You know, and says, "Hey, I'm here at the airport." And they go, "Oh, oh yeah, we canceled that event." Yeah. He goes, "Oh, okay." And he said, "I got." I said, "So what did you do?" He goes, "I got back on a plane. I flew back home, and I tore up the check that my friend sent me." I didn't earn that. And then I never took a gig for free again. So how do you balance it though, when, especially when you're getting started, and again, this is as a speaker, artist, writer, whatever, you tend to do a lot of free things. So just to get your name out there, I mean, if you're writing a blog, you're going to be putting out free content for quite a while. As a speaker, you may be doing a lot of free local things for a little while just to gain traction, to get practice. So how do you, and there's a couple directions we can go with this, but how do you kind of balance that? I need to do some free stuff early on, perhaps to get my name out there with the notion that I can't do free stuff forever. So how does that play out? I think the idea here is always work for something. 
And that something should be more than the elusive opportunity. You know, opportunity is this thing that everybody from musicians to speakers to writers, they want you to do your work for free because it's an opportunity. And the truth is, if you don't know what you're getting out of it, you're getting nothing out of it. So Grant, you may decide to, you know, go speak at a friend's event. I, I went and spoke at, at a friend's event recently for free. In fact, I even paid my way to go to this event. But the reason I did it is because they came and spoke at my event, you know, and instead of me paying him 10 grand and him paying me 10 grand, we just traded favors. And so I'm not opposed to this. I think this is great. You know, we live in this kind of barter economy where, you know, you're helping one person, they're helping you, you know, and you're doing it in, in a very smart and strategic way. And just, you know, cause you want to help friends, but when you're starting out and people are reaching out to you saying, do this for free and do this for free and do this for free. I don't think it's a timing thing. I don't think you ever get to this point where you go, okay, now I'm legit and I need to stop working for free. I recently hired somebody to come speak at my event, the tribe conference. And they, I know for a fact, this speaker never does work for free. They hate this idea. And, you know, I basically got on the phone with them and they said, okay, here's, here's how we'll do this. And we worked out a barter where I was providing about $10,000 worth of service and they were, you know, essentially speaking for free. So I think the idea is always work for something. There was a study that I read a while ago about paid internships and unpaid internships. Super interesting. Basically, unpaid internships rarely lead to employment opportunities. And paid internships, like, let's see here, I'm pulling it up. 60 out of the study, out of the, the 9,200 students surveyed, 63% of those with a paid internship received at least one job offer after the paid internship, whereas only 37% of those who are not paid received an offer. So you are two times more likely to get a job as a paid intern versus an unpaid intern. And I was just speaking at my alma mater recently. I was talking to a bunch of students there from sophomore to senior, and they all had like two or three internships, most of which were unpaid. And so the idea here is it is better to get paid something because that something leads to something else. So yes, I think you have to you have to pay your dues. You have to put your name out there. You have to be seen speaking to get booked as a speaker, but always work for something. And maybe that something is, you know, that there are 10 event planners in that audience. And I recently read this. Maybe you, you told me this. I can't remember who said this, but in just about any audience, 5% of the audience are event planners are connected to somebody who's an event planner, unless it's like an event planning conference. Sure. So there's almost always somebody in the audience that can help you get booked for something else. But you have to have that mindset of this is who I'm speaking for. Or I think especially when you're starting out, you go, okay, hey, I'm going to do this for free. I'm going to speak at my church. And you talk a lot about this, or I'm going to speak at this school or whatever, because you know they have a high quality 20, 30, $50,000 AV system. And you go, I'll do it. And normally I would charge X for it, just, you know, whatever, a thousand bucks, but I'll do it if you, you know, for free, I'll waive my honorarium. If you record it, let me have the video to use however I can. That's getting something out of it, right? That's getting, you know, a $5,000 value out of it. And you're just sort of bartering. So always work for something and do not get into the habit. Do not set a precedent that you work for free. Even if you end up, you know, bartering this for that. 
Yeah, I would totally agree with that, that it's okay to do some things for free. And sure. like you said, as long as you know why you're doing it. So right. don't just do it like, ah, I'm just doing this out of the goodness of my heart. Like if you do things out of the goodness of your heart all the time, like that's how you, you end up broke, you know, it just doesn't work. So there are situations like you described a couple of them where it totally makes sense to speak for free. I've been speaking for, you know, nearly a decade now, and there's still times where I'll speak for free if it makes sense. But there's a lot of times too, where I get invited to speak for free that it just doesn't make sense to do it. So do it if it makes sense. And if you know why you're doing it. So along those lines, though, especially early on when you're starting, and I'm doing some free speaking engagements, just to get my name out there and get going. Is there again, I guess, coming back to like the checkpoints or thresholds of at what point do I feel like, okay, now I'm good enough to actually charge. I've been doing this just to get practice and to get at bats and I feel like I'm decent. And some of that just comes down to like self-awareness. But at what point do I feel like, okay, now at this point, I'm good enough to actually someone to pay me money for this thing that I do? I think you need to start charging to speak as quickly as possible. Now, if you pay $250 for a speaker, you are not expecting the same level of excellence or quality that a $25,000 speaker would bring. So I think it's okay to charge a rate that feels commensurate with the value that you're offering at the level that you're at. But people are just scared to do this. And I think charging brings dignity to your work and it actually makes the work better. When I sit down to prep for a $15,000 speaking gig, I'm going, God, this better be good. And even when I do a free gig, which I still do too, out of the kindness of my heart, there's part of me who goes, well, I'm not really getting paid to do this. So how great does this have to be? Now, I try to shut that part of my brain out and think like a pro and pretend like I'm getting paid a bunch of money to do this. But the bottom line is when you get paid to do something, you're going to bring more of your A game. So absolutely. Number one rule is start speaking. And I know you harp on this big time. Don't wait for somebody to pay you $5,000 before you do your first speaking gig. Start speaking no matter what. Start practicing. Do what John Grisham did and show up every day and just start working your craft. Don't worry about who's paying attention or how much money you're making. Step two, start finding some ways to make money. And it's not as hard as you think. I recently spoke at my college. And this is the third time I've spoken at my college. The first two times I spoke to classes and these little, you know, small on-campus organizations. And my wife's family lives 30 minutes from our old college. And so it's no big deal for me to drop in and and just kind of share and help. This time they paid me $4,000 to speak. What is the difference between the first two gigs that were free and this $4,000 speaking gig? I just asked, I said, do you have a budget for speakers? Because I knew they did. And they said, yeah, we could talk to such and such organization and they could sponsor it. And you know, we could do 3,500 plus travel and expenses. I go, let's just add the travel because we're already traveling you know, for Easter and just, well, you know, what could you do? Oh, it would be $4,000. Great. So I just got paid four grand to go visit by my asking. in-laws right. for Easter by asking. Uh, I spoke at another event, a huge event. This was a $15,000 speaking gig. And they had 15,000 people there. It was in Las Vegas. There were 150 speakers there. And after the, the gig, I spoke for about 2,000 people. And I was, I was in this long line of tables with my books, signing books, and, and you know, right by the, the bookstore. And there were all these other speakers. And I was standing next to this guy. And we were talking. And I realized he'd been speaking at this event for like five years. 
And I said, you know, what do you get out of this? This was, you know, at this point, it was my best paying speaking gig ever, 15 grand. I was like, how do I get invited back for this? I really wanted to know. And so I asked him and he says, well, it comes down to reviews and, you know, the reviews are really important. I've been speaking here five years and, and, and he just kept talking and he's like, you know, I do it for the exposure and I, you know, I get to sell a lot of books and he had this, you know, he sold a book and then he had, he, he had like paid webinars and he kind of had this back end that worked for him. And then he just kind of mentioned in passing, he goes, well, you know, cause they don't, they don't pay you. And I go, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like I just didn't respond well to it. Cause he was like, he just looked at me and he's like, do they pay you? And I said, yeah, he goes, oh, okay. And the difference was I asked. So, and, and so just ask, do you have a speaker budget? And they'll say no, but then you, you may say, well, okay, I really don't do gigs for free. And I understand if you don't have much of a budget, but I need to at least get paid $250 for it to be worth my time. And they'll go, oh, we have that. Or, or no, we don't. And at that point you get to decide and it's okay to decide I'm going to do this for free. But so many people, as you know, Grant, don't even, I mean, that's scary. They don't even ask. And and when I started speaking, I realized I could get to that $250 a gig level pretty quickly. Like I did one gig, I recorded it. I did another gig because I knew there were event planners there. And then I started charging 250 bucks a gig. Then I got up to 500 bucks and within less than, you know, first six months I was doing at least a thousand dollars a gig. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can definitely scale up very, very quickly yeah. there. And and I think that's a, and, and even to the point of, of even what we've been talking about in that situation where you're talking with that other speaker, he may have been doing it for free, but he may have also had in his mind of, yes, I'm doing this for free, but I know why I'm doing it. And like you said, he has some other things on the back end that may yeah. make sense for him to do for free. I mean, I know you and I, in an online world, we do a lot of free webinars that oftentimes sure. lead to paid programs that we offer. So yeah. even though like on paper, we're doing it for free, it may lead to something else. So again, I think it all comes back to like, if you're going to do it for free, you need to know why you're doing it and have a valid reason and not because the client said you're going to get exposure. But if it's right. exposure, but to the wrong type of audience or to the not the type of people that you want to be in front of, it doesn't do you any, anything. So you have to know why you're doing it. It has to make sense in your business. Right. And if you want to be generous, be generous, meaning give without any expectation of reciprocation. And if somebody goes, well, you know, if my church asked me to come speak, I don't want to get paid. I want to donate that service because I want to give to my church and, and I, I don't expect to receive anything. But so many times we do gigs for free and we know that our work has value, but we're afraid to ask for it and we're mad or we're frustrated. And I'm a big proponent of this. Don't be giving away your best work for free and people are profiting off of that. Event planners profit, you know, off of paid events. They profit off of you coming and offering your gift, which takes time and money to develop for free when you yourself are starving. That just doesn't work. You need to take care of you. And then once you've taken care of yourself, you're making a living off your art. You, you want to go do a, a gig for free out of the kindness of your heart because somebody can't afford it. You know it's going to bless them in some way. Then do that, but do that with the right motives. Not I'm doing this and I hope it turns in. And they told me to turn an opportunity, and and then you just get madder and madder. I see this with musicians all the time, yeah. especially in Nashville. It's hard to get a paying gig in Nashville because there's so many people here. The, you know the the supply is so big that you know it's like well right. we could just find somebody else. And there's everybody's throwing around opportunity. I met this musician from Minnesota 
who was making over $100,000 a year as kind of this no-name musician just doing local gigs, two, $3,000 a pop playing bars and local shows. And he says, I, I moved to Nashville and now I'm broke because I can't find a paying gig. Do it for the right reasons, not because you think it's some – somebody told you it was an opportunity and you don't know what that means. Right, right. All right. June 6th, Real Artists Don't Starve is coming out. Make sure you check that out. We've just scratched the surface here. And in addition to the book coming out on June 6th, I'm going to tell you why you need to get it early, right? I'm going to have Jeff tell me, tell you why you need to get it early. <laughs> so uh, we actually set up a site, thespeakerlab.com slash artist, thespeakerlab.com slash artist. And so if you go there and order the book, The Real Artists Don't Starve, before June 6th, can they, they got to do it before June 6th, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, you're going to get several, three different uh, pre-order bonuses that Jeff put together. Uh, Walk us through what those bonuses are. Why should I order before June 6th? First thing you're going to get is you're going to get the transcripts of all the interviews I did. I interviewed working, thriving artists from all industries, music, uh, visual arts, writing, speaking, business. You know, uh, Art to me is anytime you're sharing your gift with the world, particularly in a creative way. I interviewed hundreds of thriving artists and I share you know, those interviews with you. You get that as a free download. You get access to me and a community of other thriving artists in a private Facebook community where you can ask me anything, uh, particularly j- during this launch. And the biggest thing is you get an online course, how to make a living as a creative professional. It's a 12-part video course that I teach. It's a $100 value. You get it absolutely for free. This will go on sale after the book comes out. You get it free if you pre-order the book through Grant's link. Awesome. So again, thespeakerlab.com slash artist, thespeakerlab.com slash artist. Pick up Real Artists Don't Starve coming out June 6th. It's going to be awesome. And listen, I'm, I'm not just saying this because Jeff is a friend, but Jeff, this will be what, your fifth book? Fifth, yeah. Fifth mm-hmm. book. Je- I've, I've read a couple of Jeff's books before. He is an amazing author. He's an amazing speaker. And so I, I'll, I'll say this. Sometimes, you know, you read people or you admire people from a distance and then you get to know them behind the scenes. You're like, oh, they turned <laughs> out to be not what I hoped. But Jeff is an amazing guy. We spent a lot of time together. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 a.m., we hang out at the gym and uh, pretend to lift weights. And Jeff is just a, an amazing guy, book format and as a speaker, but also just as a, as a human. So definitely pick up Real Artists Don't Starve. So Jeff, thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Goins. Really great stuff, huh? Again, I hope that reminds you and makes you think that uh, you are bringing value into the world with your speaking, with your message, with your books, with your materials. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with being paid for that, with charging money and receiving value for the value that you are providing. Now, like Jeff mentioned, he's got a, his new book, Real Artists Don't Starve. In fact, I've got an advanced copy that I checked out. Really strong stuff, really good stuff from Jeff. Anything he writes is always really, really good. So I, I definitely encourage you to check out the new book, Real artists don't starve. And then also, again, go to thespeakerlab.com slash artist. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash artist. There you're going to find those uh, three pre-order bonuses that Jeff mentioned if you pick up the book before June 6th. All right. So depending on when you listen to this, you may have a couple days, a couple weeks, you may have a couple hours. So make sure you jump on that again. Stop by thespeakerlab.com slash artist to pick up Jeff's new book, Real Artists Don't Starve, and then those three pre-order bonuses. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.